Gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus said to his disciples, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and he will sit on the throne of his glory, all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. As we get into this parable, I think the temptation is to first try to figure out where do we fit in. Are we sheep? Are we goats? Have we done enough to be considered sheep? But it's not so simple. For I would guess that there are times when every single one of us has encountered someone who's hungry and we gave them food, or someone who's sick and we helped them, who was in need and we met the need. And most likely, every single one of us has also met someone who was hungry, and we did not give them food. Who was lonely, and we did not visit. Who was begging on the side of the road or on the sidewalk when we walked by, and we did not stop. There are times when we act more like sheep, and other times when we act more like goats. So we need to go a little deeper. This parable begins with all the nations gathered before the Son of Man. And when I hear of this image of all the nations gathered before Jesus' throne, I can't help but think of another image very similar to this one, one that comes up in Revelation chapter 7, where we have an image of every nation and tribe and language and people gathered before Jesus Christ, who there is called the Lamb, and he's seated on the center of the throne. 
in the book of Revelation, it's this beautiful image of diversity. It doesn't get rid of diversity, but celebrates it. And there's this unity among this diversity of people whom God has created. And if that's God's dream and promise for the future, then that's also what God longs for us to live out today. That's the promise we get of our end in Revelation. But in the parable we heard today, the Son of Man seated on the throne starts separating people one from another. And it might be important to note that Jesus isn't speaking this parable to a whole crowd of diverse people, but he's privately telling it to his closest disciples, to the inner circle, to those who've already been called and claimed and sent out to live his way in the world. In the very next chapter, right before Jesus is arrested, Jesus refers to these same disciples as sheep who are scattered. He identifies them as sheep already. The question is, how are they going to live out their sheepiness? Those first disciples, and we too, are really good at separating people one from another. When we look at this parable, I often think, unintentionally, we try to put ourselves on the throne as the ones doing the separating. From the time we are young through adulthood, we tend to gravitate toward people who are most like us, who agree with us, who have similar opinions and backgrounds. We make judgments about who should be in and who should be out, no matter what group we're a part of. And we tend to divide people based on race, economic situation, orientation, political party, church denomination, and our membership status, or how often we're in worship. We divide people based on who believes and who doesn't. But the separation that the Son of Man does is completely different from all the separations we do. The Son of Man jumbles up all those dividing lines that we create and doesn't go by any of those at all. We separate like and unlike, those that it's comfortable to be around and those it isn't. And the Son of Man separates based on mercy and compassion. The Son of Man in the parable separates based on mercy and compassion, celebrating those who follow his lead. As Pastor Eric mentioned at the beginning of worship, today is Christ the King Sunday. It's the day where we celebrate Jesus as our King and we, what it means for us to be a part of his kingdom, of Jesus' activity in the world that starts now and continues through eternity. We celebrate that we have a God in Jesus Christ who identifies with people when they are in their deepest need and then says, I am found there. Debbie Thomas writes, she writes this, she says, I fear that instead of embracing the possibility of a humble and wounded king in Jesus Christ, we have given ourselves over to a version of kingship that's all about domination and supremacy and triumphalism. We have fallen in love with the loud, the muscular, and the aggressive. And she writes, we've forgotten that the only power Jesus yielded on earth was the power to give himself away. And then she goes on and says, On this Sunday here and now, we are asked to see Jesus in the places we'd rather not look. Several years ago, I heard an interview with Father Gregory Boyle, and several of you have been reading his books this past year in this congregation. He's a priest who works with gang members. And what he's said kind of stuck with me the past 10 years 
He said, fear, it separates us. And then he talked about what serving is and what serving isn't. And I shared this with the council this past week. When we think about serving, what is our end goal? What's our hope? As we who serve from a Christian perspective, I think sometimes we think we go and serve and that's our goal. We go and serve because Jesus told us to serve. But he compared it to like a ballroom. So if you've ever been to a wedding, like at a hotel, and the reception's in the ballroom with the dance, and that's your goal. You want to get there. But you have to take the hallway to get there. And he said, serving, service, is not the ballroom. It's not the end goal. It's the hallway to get there. The end goal is the relationships that are formed when we serve. It's the community that is shaped, a community that is expressing unity in the midst of diversity. It's our end goal is the relationship that's formed with one another and where Jesus meets us there. And several years ago, I experienced that in a really real way. I had the opportunity to take a group from my church in Pennsylvania to a soup kitchen in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And the soup kitchen served people who lived in the shelter there. They also did work, uh, really solid treatment for those struggling with addiction. And then they also had people coming off the street who still were living on the street. And so we went to serve there, and I was pretty nervous about it because it's way outside the comfort zone. And when I got to this meal, I ended up in this huge conversation with a gentleman who lived there for a long time. He had come to the homeless shelter and the soup kitchen several years ago to fight his addiction. It had worked for a friend of his, and he was living in a different state, and he was like, if it worked for him, it can work for me. And so he told me his story and all the forces that were at work behind his addiction, the regrets that he had, the things he wanted to keep hidden or the things he was ashamed of. And he put it this way. He said the substances, meaning the drugs, were a way to kind of avoid all those things, to kind of shove them aside, to numb them. But through the treatment he received there, and he especially said through God's help, the only way through was to look deep into those things that he was most ashamed of and most regretted. And through the recovery process, he said it was God's grace and forgiveness that freed him to uncover those things, to admit them, and then to make amends to the people he had wronged. I was amazed at the way God's work was happening in his life. And at the time I met him, he'd been clean for seven years. He was finishing his education at the community college so he could get his degree and counsel those who struggle with addiction today. I had gone there to serve, to try to live out Matthew 25, to kind of bring Jesus, you know, when we go from the church. I think sometimes we think we're bringing Jesus there. But that wasn't what happened. Instead, I discovered that Jesus was already alive and well there. And that he met me and spoke grace to me in that experience. And what every single person who went on that trip remembered from young to old, what they remembered wasn't serving the food at all. It wasn't the serving at all. It was the people they met and the humor and the gifts that they discovered in the people there. And though I didn't realize it at the time, that was the end goal. It was discovering Jesus meeting us and welcoming us in people we normally tend to avoid or never go out of our way to get to know. For us to live out our baptismal identity, who we are made to be in Jesus Christ, 
It can be a huge joy. It can also be a challenge. It is not simple. It is not easy to live out these words that we heard today. We wrestle with how much help is really help. What's just a band-aid on a problem and not a solution? We fear our people abusing the system. And charity alone is never enough to meet all the needs. We know when we look in our community and across the world that the need is vast and it's overwhelming. How do we literally help those who hunger, those who are experiencing need? It's not easy to live out these words. And often it also takes admitting that we are a part of systems in our world that are built to keep some people down and lift others up. It takes us being willing to educate and learn for ourselves and then also advocate to try to break open those systems and create something new. Jesus invites us to work for a world that blurs all the dividing lines that we create, that separate people one from another, and instead moves us to focus on mercy and compassion, because Jesus meets us there, especially in those who are most experiencing need. In a world that is so full of conflict and division, Jesus invites us to work for something different. And if we go back to that vision from Revelation, in that great gathering of people from every nation and tribe and people and language, if you go on to read, you read that the one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more, for the Lamb, Jesus Christ, at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. That is our future hope. May this be the vision that shapes our lives now and each and every day. For no matter how joy-filled or difficult it is to live these words, Jesus promises and truly does meet us there. Thank you, God. Amen.